Hello, and welcome to the Appendix N Book Club. This is Jeff, and today we have a bit of an unusual episode. We did plan to have a special guest on for this show. However, due to technical difficulties, our guest was not able to join us, so we had to cancel at the last moment. Our guest will return on a future episode, but right before we were going to record, we had our patron book club. And for those who don't know what our patron book club is, as a member of our Patreon, you're able to join up with me and Hoy and chat about the book before we record the episode. And we had one of our patrons, Noah Green, join us for our patron book club, and we recorded it. And it was a really great session. And we decided that since we weren't able to record with our guest, what we would do instead is we would release this patron book club as something for everybody to listen to. We have Noah Green's permission, so thank you, Noah. Uh, However, since when we recorded it, we weren't planning on releasing it, we didn't hit all of the same notes that we normally hit. For example, we didn't discuss what the Hygaxian word of the day was going to be. So just so that we don't have an episode without a Hygaxian word of the day, the word was going to be and I guess still is... Verger. Verger. And Verger is found on page 43 of our book. By the way, I forgot to mention that today we're discussing Edgar Rice Burroughs' Tainar of Pellucidar. And on page 43, it says, The blue waters of the great sea, known as coarser as, wash the shores of a green island far from the mainland. A long, narrow island with verdure-clad hills and plateaus, its coastline indented by coves and tiny bays. Amiocap, an island of mystery and romance. And verdure is lush green vegetation. So with that, I guess we can go ahead and let you start listening to the patron book club. Uh, Just so you know, our next two episodes will be on H.P. Lovecraft's The Case of Charles Dexter Ward and Fletcher Pratt's The Well of the Unicorn. If you would like to email us, you can do so by emailing appendixnbookclub at gmail.com. And if you would like to support us and join our Patreon and join us for future patron book clubs, then please head on over to patron, um, sorry, to Patreon slash appendixnbookclub. So we look forward to hearing from you. All right. Thanks, and here is our episode. I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy myself. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. Let me tell you the days of high adventure. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. Ready to go, Doc? Oh, yes, yes, my dear fellow, I'll... Just check the gyroscope. Okay, cool. We are on. Hey, Noah, thanks for joining us. Thanks. So welcome, Noah. Noah, thank you. Uh, Jeff was in Andy's game, um, I guess, uh, the previous game. Ah, uh, cool. The previous Tuesday night game. Oh, that's right. Um, you were a Vivimancer, right? I was. Yes, I was the naked Vivimancer. Yes, I've heard. I've heard of, <laughs> I've heard of the naked Vivimancer. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm a Vivimancer uh, too, actually. Nice. That fully, is really exciting. Fully clothed one. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> so do you have the transparency spell? Uh, I think I think I do. I think I was able to obtain it, but I have not yet scribed it. All right. He's especially okay. in cannibal rage and like the various poisonous mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And yesterday was my first session of joining a new Advanced Dungeons and Dragons campaign, first edition. Wow. And it's my Ooh. first time playing AD&D with a dungeon master who's playing it pretty much by the books. Wow. Like it's not like super house ruled. It is just Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. And how's that going? It's really cool. I hadn't met any of these guys before. So these are all new people. Right. Uh, But I had a lot of fun yesterday. I'm playing that they they started at first level and their characters are all like fifth and sixth level at this point. Mm -hmm. So he had me joined in at fourth level. So I have a fourth level magic user and a fourth level fighter. There you go. Nice. Is it a homebrew scenario or a particular Just the Uh, world of Greyhawk. It's in Greyhawk. I don't know what what his sources are. I don't know if he's making stuff up. I don't know if he's taken from modules. It's very open world sandbox. We can really do whatever we want to do. Nice. Um, he's it's like, he'll let you know if we've, if we've heard some rumors. So like the session started with him just being like, okay, so this is what happened since the last session. This is what's going on in the world. You guys have heard that these armies are traveling in this direction. And you heard a rumor about this, abandoned keep in the south and you heard a rumor that the elves of this forest need help with this thing and you heard a rumor that there's this thing over here but you're welcome to go wherever you want right right and how, what's the group what's the group uh like they all know each other i mean through the game or or is it they, they're friends from a long time before that or so this guy uh runns a uh a AD&D game Saturdays from 4 to from 4 to 8 and Sundays from 4 to 8 and those are two different groups mm-hmm. and my impression is that both groups are completely comprised of people he's met um, online or through like gaming groups. Mm-hmm. So it's all it's all new people to him. Okay. I think. I think. Mm. Cool. That's my impression. Yeah. But anyways, good. so we are here to chat about Tainar of Pellucidar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess starting with our guest Noah, what did you think of the book? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, um, had never read any of the Pellucidar books, um, before I had read, um, all of the Mars books, the Barsoom books, um, back in probably like junior high school. Um, and, um, you know, coming across this book, it was interesting. I mean, you know, as, as, as people will always say about books from this era, it very much bears the stamp of, of the era. Uh, in terms of language, um, you know, typical plot structure, gender stuff, things like that. Um, it was overall, I found it an enjoyable romp and adventure. Um, there was definitely ways I could see that later role-playing games took adventure structure ideas from it and similar novels. Um, you know, there wasn't anything I really disliked about it. There were there were a couple of stylistic things I found odd, uh, which you could talk about later. That, um, and, you know, some of the plot structuring things seemed very sort of archetypal of, of pulp. Not that I really know what pulp is. Um, mm-hmm. But that's actually the last thing I wanted to say is that this just got me thinking about what do we mean by pulp? I know that's a much, much larger question. But the good sure. thing about the book is it got me thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And Hoy, what did you think of this book? 
Um, this was, pro- I mean, again, I haven't read that much Burroughs, to be honest, before this project started. The only Burroughs I'd read, I think, was Land That Time Forgot or The People That Time Forgot. Uh, you know, I'd heard about Burroughs for years and years. This one was um, like both deeply silly and deeply enjoyable, but silly in a different way than the two previous two Pellucidar books. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I almost picture like, do you know, like, do you ever watch the Miyazaki cartoons, uh, the Hayao Miyazaki manga and stuff like that? Oh, I was yeah. picture like the Corsars looking like those like those hairy pilot guys in like um Porco yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> right. Just like Great bumbling call. bumbling pirate guys, like you know, falling off their boat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost Miyazaki Miyazaki like in that sense. I mean, even though that there's heads getting cleaved and, and various things like that. I like how uh Tainar is sort of kind of very um he's kind of very diffident, like, oh, um, you know, she's in love with me, but I, I can't really say that because I don't really feel the same way about her. Right? You know? Because, but you know, you know, you really should go get out of here. This island's kind of bad for you, you know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Totally. These people are kind of toxic, you know. Like I, I like that whole pie. I, lo- I love my favorite bit was that whole island of the people who all just hate each other. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was pretty messed up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that stood out for me. Yeah. The one thing I was wondering and maybe i'm reading too much into it though was the first guy he meets from that island is in the underground um caverns of the um the buried men right yes right. jude aka judas right uh, jude, but also i'm wondering because jude of heim was he come kind of like deliberately anti-semitic or like mildly deli- like heim is he like you know oh, I am. yeah or something like that oh yeah. i didn't pick up on the heim part and yeah. and and lots of squabbling within families and right, stuff. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to say all this you know because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one but uh wow that didn't cross my mind now that you th- say it you know it's it's it, i mean i guess my first impulse would be to research um you know his life and writings more to see if there's anything that sort of stands out Right. Um, or let me not even say like anti-Semitic in a deeply felt way, more just like the the, the sort of ethnic stereotyping that was very common in that mm-hmm. time period. And so why not urban Jews as like a bunch of, you know, like crabby cavemen throwing rocks at The cliff dwellings, you know, it's like right. some tenement to the Lower East Side. Exactly. Or, what are you doing down there? Right? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm making the soup. <laughs> she's, stirring it. she's stirring the soup with a giant like mammoth jawbone. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> Gura actually sounds kind of like a Yiddish name too. Uh, I think about it. Oh um, yeah, kind of interesting. Um, and um, let's see, there was Skurv or it was I, I couldn't tell it was Skurv or Scrub because my edition had it spelled both ways at different <laughs> points. But uh, I don't know that that could be. And um, you know, once again, if if that's the case, you know, it's it, it's an example of you know the work uh, being a product of its time. I mean, at least it's not you know you know horror at red hook type type right, right, level right. but but sure. yeah uh, and I, one thing, I will oh. think about that yeah sorry no it's fine and one thing that i thought was interesting about um the 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 primitive tribe people of these islands is that when you're when you're on amio cap and you're on heim these characters seem very relatable and don't seem in in a lot of ways in their kind of interactions except for the fact that amio capians are supposedly like full of love and peace even though they were like kind of 
burn them alive. And, and we're going to reject the daughter because of because they thought that the the, the dad might be somebody else. So right. I don't know. There, there didn't seem to be a lot of peace and love over there. But supposedly the Amio Capians are very much about peace and love. Uh, and then the, the 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 people from Heim are you know full of malice and hate or whatever. But in a lot of ways, they all seem very human and very relatable, mm-hmm. and didn't seem that different than the kind of people you would encounter anywhere. Just kind of generally, those 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 two groups are kind of more mixed. But then later in the story, they're talking about um, kind of the primitive tribes people. Um, I forget where they're talking about it, but there's I, I have it in my notes somewhere. Oh, the Outlanders but, of the Corsars, the people yeah. who the Corsar city, right? And they're like yeah, really intelligent. Yeah, exactly. They're saying that they're they're not even bright enough to um, to make them soldiers in their armies. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know. And it, it's interesting, just kind of how differently they're portrayed when you're with them versus when other people are talking about them. Right. Right. I wonder if that yeah. is not so much Tainar thinking that, but that's what the Corsars think about the people who are. Um, are are you know the the peasants and and the the primitive tribe the so called primitive tribes and it's a little hard because like Burroughs is like a, a man of big ideas but he's kind of sloppy in a lot of ways <laughs> I mean there's no other way to put it right he's just yeah. like writing at a pace where he's probably not even going back very very much to like review what he's written and so um th- that was the feeling of yeah but it was strange like the different tribes and Tainar is obviously supposedly a primitive too and there's talks about how he was not comfortable with the gunpowder. And like he liked mm-hmm. the bow because it was kind of like a small spear, just pointy like a small spear, right? So he could deal with bows, right? But he was not really down with guns, right? Right. So, <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. Now I have kind of a bigger question. Maybe this is kind of a little gate gatekeeping question Uh-oh. here. <laughs> gatekeeping in the OSRs. <laughs> is this fantasy? Ah. Uh. Hmm. Uh, hmm. yeah, but not, I mean, I guess, I guess we have a much more distinct idea of what fantasy is, so that has to have magic, and there's no magic in this, so I would say it is still fantasy, but because it's not real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that's kind of where I'd be at, too. I mean, you know, I, I'm very unfamiliar, I, I realize this is not like Robert E. Howard, uh, Swords and, you know, Low Magic, whatever, Swords and Sorcery. Um, but it does seem related. I'm not, an, I, I don't really, like I said, I don't really know the whole pulp area that well, but it seems to fit into that tradition. Um, well, sure. I'm not asking if this is pulp or not. This is absolutely oh, pulp. This I'm asking fantasy. if this is fantasy. Right. So I guess the question is, if if you consider that there's an overlap between fantasy and, and, and pulp, you know, like part of fantasy is, is Tolkien, you know, otherworldly, and part of fantasy is more like, like this, you know, like things that are basically not real or made up fantastical worlds. I mean, I think the world building makes it fantasy. I, I'm sort of kind of free associating here, but I, I do think that that makes it fantasy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and this kind of, uh, it, this in a weird way kind of falls into the trope of like Narnia or um, the uh, World of Tears or the magicians in the sense that like in a sense he it's almost as though david ennis enters a, through a portal into a magic world right, right. Like world. Yeah. yeah i mean it's it's not a literal magical portal into a literal magical world but it is into the center of the earth where we have you know not dinosaurs but right. like pleistocene megafauna uh roaming around with cave people who right. have who have no night right, uh, right who are who at least in the first book were ruled by like psychic 
uh, pterodactyls. <laughs> um, <laughs> doesn't sound so bad these days, but psychic <laughs> <laughs> like pterodactyls who eat us, but not all of us all at once. That's not so bad. That's gonna be fine. You know, that's fine. You know, one Although, of those. <laughs> speaking of the psychic pterodactyls, mm-hmm. the Mayhars, like it, the way that the Mayhars are talked about in the kind of opening of the book, and mm-hmm. it really seems like it's the. the yeah. It's like the plight of the Mayhars. Right. Like these these poor things are being shuffled from place to place. In a weird way, it almost seems like this part is kind of echoing the plight of the Native American in a strange way, where it's like they keep they keep being shuffled to new places uh, and to kind of gradually worse and worse places, while the people who have come to um, civil civilize and inhabit this area uh, keeps. Um, displacing them right, people right. with gunpowder right um, people with gunpowder yeah yeah i mean i think burroughs would have been very much aware of this right because he did actually spend some time as like an army trooper in the wet in the wild west i think very briefly two or three years doing that mm-hmm. in the 1870s and obviously you know he I, he started somewhere in the midwest i think and then he eventually moved out to california so he would have seen all of this happening in his lifetime right? yeah so I, think, I think there's some logic to that well wasn't uh, the uh, portal to barsoom some kind of Native American magic, or am I confusing that with the with the with Simon Treegarth and the Portal of the Witch World? I can't. No, I think that was um. No, you're right. I think it was somewhere in the Southwest. It was a cave, and there was some mm-hmm. kind of like gas or mists and stuff like that. Yeah, and, like, this is what stuff. I remember. Right. I don't know. Uh, the only the only uh, the only Edgar Rice Burroughs I've read is what we've discussed on the podcast so right, far. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Treegarth had that chair that he sat on. He was escaping from, and the guy put him on the chair. Oh, right. It was some sort of secret agent kind of thing. Right, right. right. He was like some kind of, it was very film noir at the beginning of that one. Yeah. It was. And actually, I didn't realize he was going to go into another world. And I was very surprised when I started reading which world. I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was some some weird, like, pulp era modern day thing. I just assumed it was a fantasy world. Right, right. Then we got there. A lot of genre hopping. In, in all these books. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big thing in not only the pulp era, but also in kind of the 60s, 70s paperback era that in the post Dungeons and Dragons world of fantasy fiction, we've lost a lot of. Mm-hmm. And to the point mm-hmm. where we get a certain person, we will not uh, mention by name, Andrew, <laughs> who can't, <laughs> oh. <laughs> can't and he's mixing uh, science fiction with uh, fantasy. <laughs> right? uh-huh. it's like it's an ongoing joke every time we mention him, hey andrew how about we play with a little gunpowder or you know uh, we get some uh, cyborgs in here right and like, oh is this uh, a guy in one of your games oh uh, our, our, uh, well we all know him andrew Sternich. Right? oh oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah 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 <laughs> he's strictly he's strictly a robert jordan wheels of time kind of guy right <laughs> <laughs> he'd be so mad if he <laughs> i only really i only learned that recently actually every time um, we want to tweak him we mentioned about the possibility uh, of having cyborgs in the <laughs> I'm starting with it in our Tuesday game, like subtly and then build it and, you know, branching out from Vivimancy, you know, into right. well, uh, augmentation. And, right. Uh, well, it's all electrical, right? The nervous system is all electrical. Which yes. Is between, like this a medical is, metal body and a biological body. This is what I've been trying to explain to the group for, for months now. Um, yeah absolutely you can explain to andrew that his game is actually in another dimension an online um an (laughs) online mmo but like you're playing a character who has somehow found a way to upload your consciousness into the mmo (laughs) as my my character always likes to say it's it's really quite simple (laughs) what i always say before i cast some horrific uh flesh warping uh it's really quite simple i say to the group you know <laughs> um. That's awesome. So it's funny, actually. You, you're mentioning this of the fans. The, the one part I actually had the most difficulty visualizing is when mm-hmm. they actually see our 
the real sun, like through the polar gap. Like, like I'm not sure like what kind of how they are reaching the surface world or seeing the surface world. I Googled Pellucidar map and I couldn't find anything that was illustrating how that opening to the Arctic Circle works. I'm not Uh, not understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was actually gonna do that too. Thanks for checking that. Yeah. Yeah, like is is the hollow earth kind of pear-shaped with like the stems sticking out of the North Pole? Is that kind of the idea? That works for me. Um that's better than my my concept was like yeah, it was just that at a certain point they started going, like, like, like along a line, sort of perpendicular to the, or tangential. I should. Oh shit! Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> a line going right into the circle. Right, <laughs> like, right. yeah, I guess that's a tangent line. Right. Um, I was thinking, picturing it kind of like a Klein model. You know, just like a three-dimensional version of a, a Mobius strip. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. How the how, how did they get? Yeah. How did that work with gravity? How did they get out? Um, <laughs> I was. Uh, I mean, once I saw where they, I, I kind of got where they were headed, like a few pages before the reveal, um, and I was just scratching my head, like how how exactly did that work out? And yeah. You know, and, and how long did it take? Of course, as as he reminds us, like every five or six paragraphs. Of course, time has no meaning to the inhabitants <laughs> of Pellucidar. Like, right. like he said, it's a refrain, you know. <laughs> right. Like every, I don't know, few pages, you get that time has right, no right. meaning to them because there's sure. always light. So we don't right, really right. know how long this took. And I'm like, Although, yeah, I know, I got that. Although in this one, it was a little weirder in the sense. I mean, it was less weird because it's, we just don't know how long time takes. But it was more like just kind of hand waving. Whereas the first two books, it was really weird because literally like uh david innes has like tons of adventures and he comes back to the city to rescue the professor who's mentioned at the beginning of the book and the guy goes oh i just thought you went downstairs to get a book for me <laughs> right right or something like that <laughs> right yeah <laughs> <laughs> like he's gone for months what feels like months yeah like so, time is so distorted <laughs> that, is, that is hilarious on the one hand and some ambitious kind of world building on the other hand that yeah. like you know rather than just punting on the whole thing Right. He actually goes out on the, you know, Burroughs actually goes out on a limb and says, you know, what seemed like months to the reader and one character seemed like just going downstairs to get a book for that. I mean, that's, that is like such a break from the way you could consume the narrative that I, I think, you know, it's, it's ambitious, albeit kind of maybe clumsy world building. Um, right, right. I, I, well, li- I like that actually. I think that's what does actually settle it into the realm of fantasy. Although I think if you were, mm. you know, very ambitious, you could probably figure out something about time distortions and stuff like that, and say that it was actually science fiction as well. But that does, I think, mm. handily move it into the world of fantasy rather than, um, you know, above and above beyond anything else that we've talked about. You know? Sure. And one of the things that it also did is, you know, because we the, there, there's that opening to the Arctic Circle. And through that is when these like 16th, no, 17th century Spaniards came through. (laughs) And if they're from the 17th century and this story takes place in the 20th century, then they've been there for 300 years. And they tell us that the capital city has 500,000 people in it. Uh, Yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah, if there's a capital city with 500,000 people and they've been in this area for 300 years, why is it only now that anybody else on the continent has become aware of them? Yeah, yeah. I think that's just a straight up discrepancy. I mean, we could, you know, work to retcon that and and, and make it work conceptually. But I, I think like Burroughs, I think he just went with it. 
Right, right. But there was, he had planted also, so many seeds of places he could have gone. Like, you know, right now there's still this like floating rock in the sky that we still don't know what's on it. Right. It's like you had these areas that you've already like that you've you've had there since the very beginning that you haven't explained yet. But rather than trying to explain those things, you're introducing new elements that's com- kind of completely undermining the timeline of what you've laid out for us in the previous book. Right? Yeah. I mean, and- I guess the only the answer to have uh, sorry no, is oh, no, no go ahead. time is also very local like the, the time is perceived and it's not even like it doesn't it doesn't even have it has no meaning generally in pellucidar but even locally like between literally like you could be like one village over and time would pass at a different rate than than like where you are you know uh, I mm-hmm. guess, but these are both expanding rating forces that right. are slowly taking over the right. continent. Maybe they only knew how to sail in one direction and they didn't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, we know these guys aren't, you know, exactly, you know, the sharpest tools in the shed to begin with. Um, <laughs> right. But, but the, you know, another thing you raised, Jeff, and this crossed my mind too when I saw it was 500,000 people. Like, I, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't have... The, the time or the equipment to do the math uh, while I was reading this because I was, I was I was at a resort uh, last week um, mostly chasing after my kids but um, how could they have gotten to that population level yeah in that amount of time especially if we're talking about a pirate armada yeah. not a whole hell of a lot of women on board you know when they oh I didn't even think about that well I, you yeah. know I mean I guess they're you know they're they're kidnapping women and making babies with them. Right. Well, that's definitely a common, yeah. a constant, right? They're constantly yeah. just tribes are just raiding each other and kidnapping women. And but that is true. Three hundred years—that's a lot of a lot of kidnapping and like uh, a lot of kidnapping and raping to get mm. a population of five hundred thousand. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, it 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 does. You know, it may it may just be like wrong. It may just be the that that he's off there. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, this makes me think also about, and I, I certainly didn't have the time to research this as well, but sort of the conditions of, of production and publication, you know, for, for the text, like, um, you know, I, I just, you cur- from just curse researching, you know, I could see that it had been serialized. Um, so it does make me wonder like how quickly he had to crank this out, you know, um, was was he just you know kind of burning through this and and you get what you get um because it was serialized mm-hmm. yeah and it does feel very stream of conscious uh very kind of um this is the thought i have now i'm going with this this storyline seems to be wrapping up but i still have more word count left so i'm gonna now kind of introduce this new thing and oh they've kidnapped stellara okay he saved stellara but i've still got a whole lot left more to write okay somebody else kidnapped stellara um, okay, so now we'll chase them. Um, oh, now we have Stellara, but now she's mad at him and uh, doesn't want to see him. So now he's got to follow her and, and get her to like him. And <laughs> there, there's a lot of chasing Stellara around. Yeah, yeah, there is. And and you know, uh, it, going along with what you what you said, there's there's also kind of the opposite. There's that one place it just jumped out at me near the very end of the book where they're escaping for you know the umpteenth time from the Corsars. And they land, they make that risky landing on the headland and two of the Corsair ships wrecked and one of them falls in there. And then it just says, well, after that, they had a lot of adventures through a lot of countries and they got home. Yeah. Like, 
Do you remember that? It was, it yeah. was just like, yeah. just, what the hell? You know, I mean, I was and cool mean, with that, but like, because, you and know. Meanwhile, Gak and, and Gura had also had adventures. Or, right, right. right. And they just, also did that at the very end, too. Yeah. The very end of the book is like, oh, and they had a ton of adventures that we don't have the room to write in this, in yeah. this thing. Right. Right. But also, this entire story is being dictated to Abner, no, by Abner Perry oh, to yeah. Edgar Rice Burroughs on the Earth. So it's like supposedly Abner Perry is literally saying out loud every single thing that has been written right. down in this right. book. Right. To, to Jason Gridley, who's got this new radio, who is then telling totally. to Edgar Rice Burroughs. <laughs> but for some reason, like Abner Perry thinks it's really important to tell the story of when. Uh, Tanar meets the saber tooth tiger and like jumps over the the cliff and then they like have a little bit of a water fight and then he swims away mm. but like doesn't feel like it's important to talk about all of the <laughs> numerous adventures I, it's it's a little weird the things that Abner Perry has the is in the mood to tell us and the things that he's not in the mood to tell yeah, us yeah I mean <laughs> there, there's so much there I mean the, the whole conceit of you know detailed textured narratives being dictated over you know you know, through some other means or whatever. I mean, that 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 happens like again and again in this kind of literature, right? I mean, right. Um, sure. And when was the last time you told somebody a story a for hours uh, with without any interruption or feedback from the person you're telling it to? And b when have you told the story where you're like, um, and um, where, where you're like doing like full like dialogue breaks where it's like. You lie, growled Tanar of Pellucidar as he leaped upon the Corsar. You know, you, people never say that kind of stuff conversationally when they're telling a story of what happened, you know? Well, you know, that, that's story gaming, I guess. You know, I've never done it, so... Oh, is that how that works? <laughs> Apparently, I've done it wrong, because I have done some story gaming, but it certainly didn't uh, come across like that. Uh, I, I did some, too, and I, and I want to do more. Um, I, 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 um... What's I going to say? I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that conceit, right? I mean, we see that like over that narrative mechanism the, that's kind of silly of like, you, you know, like you said, an uninterrupted tale with dialogue, with description, <laughs> you know, being dictated. I mean, that's like the basis for, 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 you know, this, this somewhat, you know, shaky basis for, for so many of these narratives. Right. right. I mean, you just, um, it, it's always fun to laugh at because, you know, there's, there's a lot to laugh at in, in this book in a good way. Sure. But, and know. I don't think Edgar Rice Burroughs was taking himself too terribly serious no. with this stuff either. I, he he was winking, too. Just the fact that he makes himself a character who this is being dictated to is already pretty hilarious. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I know you didn't read the first two books. The second one is my least favorite of the three we've read so far. But in the second one, though, there is kind of a great moment where in the introduction, Edgar Rice Burroughs has like received this letter from somebody who's like talking about like, you know, what, what BS this whole story is. And like, he doesn't believe any of it. Uh, and I forget like what Edgar Rice Burroughs says in response, but it's, it's this really kind of funny exchange between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I noticed in, in, in some sort of similar, I mean, there was some, some, who's the guy, uh, I guess Gridley. Yeah. I mean, Gridley has some, some sort of like gentle humor at Burroughs expense, you know, at the beginning which I think fits very much with what you're saying that like, you know, these are, these are examples in the text of how he doesn't really take himself too seriously when right. he actually portrays himself. You know? right. And let us not forget that Jason Gridley is also scandalously good looking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you gotta have that, right? Uh, that's right up there with, uh, with I, I, and this was a revelation to me. Um, this is a little cultural history. He actually describes the core stars at one point as wearing 
wearing g-strings like literally the phrase yes. g-string yes. i was like okay so g-string goes back at least to 1929 i now right. know <laughs> you know um, oh and hoy what were we reading recently where the word bisexual kept coming up but it actually meant that it was like a race that had two two sexes fact, yeah i'm trying to which one there was it was um was it um was it one of the Lovecraft ones? I'm trying to remember. It was was it or was was that one of the stories in um, uh, Martian? Um, not not Martians go home. The other Martian one. Um, oh yeah, one of the Stanley Weinbaum ones, probably. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I think so. Yeah, where he described the alien race as being bisexual, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and then he went on another another sentence, and I'm like, oh. Right. <laughs> Trail not he, yet blazed. Right, right. But... And then they said, oh, um, I think there was a sentence in somewhere where they said there were he was uh, he was kind of depressed, and I was like, oh, I, I, you know, that sounds very modern, right? You know, it's yeah, 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 feeling depressed about being in the in the lightless cavern or something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're, sure. we're depressed yeah. about about the situation with Stellara and yeah, things so, like that. So, yeah, so and that like, that's that's a relatively taboo thing too from that from that time period. Right. right. Um, so Noah, based solely on having this be your only introduction to Pellucidar, mm-hmm. why do you think that Pellucidar is a recommended series for Dungeons and Dragons inspiration? There is, um, like I said, the 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 world building, mm-hmm. um, the plot. Um, and the particular twists and turns that the adventure takes, you know, is very much, I think, tied to the, 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 the features and nature of the world that, that he created for this, the things that happen to the characters, um, you know, are tied to everything from like the different peoples and relations between them, the characteristics of the peoples, the geography, the bestiary, um the the very sort of cosmology or setup of 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 the of the world and so on i think it's an example of adventure and um and plots and situations that are are well coupled and integrated with the world design and so that to me is sort of inspirational and and helpful to somebody creating a like sort of a a, a campaign in 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 a, a world that they've designed and created. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because the adventures are not the adventures are very much Pellucidar adventures, right? They yeah. Couldn't be uh, some generic, um, you know, fantasy landscape, right? Yeah. I, that, so I mean, yeah. Right, totally. Um, there's a couple of dungeon crawls, right? Mm-hmm. When he's going uh, yes. land of the buried men, and then oh. he escapes when he escapes from the cell. And this giant rat. This is, I think, the first time I remember seeing a giant rat in any of the appendix fiction. Right? He, scra- he strangles the rat. Uh-huh. Absolutely, it's your 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 traditional first level foe, the giant <laughs> rat. <laughs> and, you know, there's some OSR style uh, problem solving with the snakes and the hole right. in the wall and breaking right. the bowl to get the iron shard. You know, right, right. That right. was very much, you know, instead of fighting hundreds of snakes, he he uses them as as a, as a sort of a an anchor for his sanity and befriends them and, and does problem solving. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to make any, any die rolls, you know, he, he, he comes up and describes the solution. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I like when he's trying to escape from the bowls, the fags, and then he's like there in the tree. And then he kind of realized, well, time has no meaning. So I'm going to really be here forever. <laughs> <laughs> he was metagaming. He was metagaming. But <laughs> <laughs> well, then he decides to, uh, you know, ride the bull into the forest. So again, that's using his brain, right? He's like, well, if he rides the bull into the forest, maybe the other bulls that are chasing after them, he won't get trampled by them, right? That was a but, fun scene. 
right? right Although there's always the risk that he'll get knocked off the bull by a, like a low hanging branch or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. Right, and then um, I like the bit where he um, rescued the one, um, the guy from the uh, the son of the chief from the island where they all hate each other because the, the the son of the chief was being stalked by a wolf, but there was a snake in the tree as as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we've got we've got mammoths, we've got um, saber tooth tigers and cave bears right. and herds of animals and snakes and big wolves and giant rats. Right, and- right. And then he's realizing when he visits that village um, that, you know, the, the, the guy just climbed down all these ledges and he's realizing that he, he might fall. He probably needs a dex roll, but that guy doesn't need to do it. But then he's, <laughs> but, but he has to follow him anyway because he just wouldn't do not to like, you know, show like you know, good form because probably kids just do it all the time. So it would be really bad if he didn't just climb down also. So doing something against your better judgment, that's very mm-hmm. OSR. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Also, I think a thing that um, Gary really appreciated in his world building, um, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs doesn't do this as well as Jack Vance does, but at least Edgar Rice Burroughs attempts to make each place they travel to somehow kind of unique and different, uh, gives each kind of area its own little flair, gives them their own little rules. Um, and I, I think he like it's 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 not as uh, inventive as Vance, but like he certainly gives it a shot and is mostly successful with it, I think. Um, Amy O'Cap and Haim are a little like, oh, this is the island of love, but this is the island of hate. Right. But it, it also shows how if you want to take a really simple idea like that, you can actually have that be the basis for how you initially develop a, um, a culture, but you can make it more interesting and nuanced than just love versus hate. Right. But you can but you can use that as a starting point in your design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is some that is some good world building there. And you're right. I mean, Vance really is sort of the master of that. But th- this this yeah. definitely came close, and and it definitely showed how those things could successfully drive plots right, um, right. and scenarios. And the other one moment I have to mention was sheer comedy, but also very OSR, is when he's charging all the Corsars trying to uh, trying to rescue um, Stellara, and they all volley off their guns, and in the smoke, the gun smoke, they think they've blown him to bits, but he just falls into the pit. Oh, the pit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to take some issue with. I mean, okay, so here's the thing: is I, I, I'm, I fully embrace the absurd. Yeah. <laughs> like in in the original. Uh, Pellucidar's um, Pellucidar book, there's that really fantastic moment where he murders one of the um, Mehars and just like throws its skin over his body and then walks through the town with like the bloody skin of this of this animal he's murdered. This like the, the bloody skin of the psychic pterodactyl and somehow like nobody notices. And even like when he's the guard, like the guards in him like make eye contact and he just kind of nods and then like walks out. That is like so patentedly absurd that like i but it's amazing and i love right. it or when his hide is replaced by the mayhar that's been bound in the uh, exactly <laughs> and we have a similar thing in this story it's not quite as absurd though but where he decides he's gonna like put on a beard so he, like, <laughs> his face with pitch and cuts off the beard of the dead dude and, and like, he, puts on one, he puts one on stellarals <laughs> yes exactly so those moments are yeah, <laughs> those moments are brilliant, and I love it. <laughs> However, the moment with uh, Tanar's disappearance into the Earth, I had a bigger issue with, and the reason why I have an issue, and maybe this is where I'm just getting too silly here, but, like, bullets move faster than smoke. <laughs> so he would not have been concealed by smoke enough so that nobody saw him fall prior to his body being riddled with the bullets. Well. 
<laughs> I don't know why one is one is great fun for me and the other annoyed me. I don't know, but that one annoyed me. I think I mean maybe they also missed, you know, on top of everything else, which seems maybe. possible given given them and their technology right, and right. everything else. Also but, very possible. I like but, that bit yeah. when he like he's <laughs> bluffing them and like he's just alluding to the fact that their gunpowder is not really good, but they're they're worried that he knows that their gunpowder is all wet because they 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 yeah. went. <laughs> yeah, that that. The, the 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 misconception on both sides, yeah. Right, it's, right. A, it's very it's very ultimately kind of a little bit Looney Tunes, which is just great, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, the beard bit was hilarious, and then they're realizing like they're throwing the cloak over her, except that she's still got like you know the very womanly bosom and hips, and they just keep on having to like her <laughs> shoulders. And... <laughs> and it's it's also a great example of how in role playing games sometimes your 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 players have a very silly idea, yeah. and the judge is like, "Yeah, sure, give me a roll," yeah. and it shouldn't succeed, but it does. Right. Like, <laughs> that's a great uh, a, a kind of a great moment of seeing. That in action. That's what right. Andy Markham says. I like your style. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I like how he set it up because he first goes to that room and he's got the pitch on his hand and, he's, and his hand is just sticking to stuff and he's getting really annoyed. Because he just like walk around like he's like he's, every time he picks something up, his hand gets sticking to it. <laughs> I, I thought at first that that was just more of his just you know random bizarro stuff that he do he was doing. Right. And then of course it, it turns out that it's a uh, it's a mechanism for for the problem solution. Right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Mm. Right. I do like that they talk about like that. Tanar, he's like incredibly capable. Uh, you know, he's strong, he's fast, but that he he knows also that he's not a good sailor, right? That if he gets out on the ocean, the corsairs will beat him to it. He knows that if he doesn't like, for example, paddle back to the island on time, he won't ever catch up with Jude. So he's definitely like, you know. A, a specimen in his th- thing, but he's not, he's clearly not like multi class, right? He's mm-hmm. a fighter, right? He's, he's definitely a classic D&D fighting man. Mm-hmm. You know? he, he can make the roll, but with a minus, you know? Right. He, can, he can climb, he can do this, that, and the other. He's got the stealth, but, you know, he's not, you know, the roles that he plays are not like, he's not, he's not, um, he's not like a wish fulfillment, ubermensch kind of figure that way that maybe Tarzan might be more of, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, or, or, or Conan, for that example. That's why they know. have to bring in Tarzan in the next book, right? Um, right. Yeah. To, to straighten the situation out. Right. I saw. I saw that that was coming next. Yeah. Yeah, that is next. And what's also interesting is there's a, a quite a bit of time between the first and second book, and then between the second and third book. But the third and fourth books both came out in the same year. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. So I'm I'm assuming Jason Gridley comes to save David Ennis yeah. as the next book, and the next book is Tarzan. Do you guys know is Jason Gridley a character in the Tarzan universe? I, I think there's an like extended Edgar Rice Burroughs universe because I think there's some kind of, I haven't read this yet, but I think the Gridley wave is used to communicate with the Venus. Yes. Venus and Mars. Like, oh. And Mars. Right. I, and I Mars. saw that briefly because I dipped into some Barsoom after finishing this book to yeah. get some stylistic comparisons that, yeah. uh, and, and I noticed that uh, my favorite of, of the Barsoom books, uh, Fighting Man of Mars, uh, was communicated via Gridley wave, once again. Um, another, another detailed you know, narrative with dialogue and everything else. Uh, Scandalously you- handsome and smart. <laughs> brought to you by the Gridley Wave. Yes. There you go. Um, um, so just, I was looking very briefly also on Blackgate with uh, Ryan Harvey's thing. And he was saying, as you're, uh, you're right there, that this one is the longest gap between the Felicidar books or any Burroughs books. It was 15 years or, or 14 years. 
after the previous Pulisidar book. And between the first and second, there's at least seven years, right? Um, now here it says it's a year. Um, between the first and second? Yeah, after the oh. Pulisidar. But there's, there's 14 years here. Um, okay. But in the meantime, he'd been doing the Mars books and doing the Tarzan books. But people were saying that um, Burroughs had a couple of sort of like troughs where he kind of kind of lost inspiration or lost focus or the series was slowing down. And so what I'm reading here is that he wanted to set up like the Tarzan series was slowing down. So he wanted to get a new setting for Tarzan. And then at the same time, he wanted to not have it just be like, oh, Tarzan shows up this new setting. So he sort of re- revived the Pelucidar series so that Tarzan could go there for the next book. Um, I, we'll see, I guess, when, once we read Tarzan, Tarzan at the Earth's core. But I think that that's the... Uh, that's the at least the commercial impetus was what I'm reading from here. Um, you know, artistically, I don't know how well the setup will work. You know, we'll we won't know until we read the next book, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah. Again, like the conditions of production, I think are 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 really interesting and important to consider. You know, from the serialization to to the 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 you know the, the writing cycles and and concerns that you just described. I mean, all that stuff, I think, can can provide a lot of interesting context right, right. To, and, to understanding this. I mean, even something as simple, I mean, Jeff, that you and I learned at the beginning of this whole project was the, one of the reasons why the books were shorter then was because the binding and the glue of the paperbacks wasn't as good. They just couldn't make it no like a giant paperback the way they do this 800-page uh, yep. you know, paperbacks that they have now. So that, that was really interesting. So, I yeah, I think that um, it's definitely really easy to forget about that, especially in the age of now, like, print-on-demand, um, you know, overnight delivery, all these kind of things, like you say, eBooks where there's literally no right, yeah. no right. right. <laughs> I I can't imagine a, anybody being able to write a book that was such a large file size that it couldn't even be an eBook. Like, right, it's impossible <laughs> at this point. Yeah. So these yeah. were the the eight bit text adventures of, <laughs> of, of the time, you know, <laughs> which is fine by me. <laughs> right, right. Although I guess it's interesting that Burroughs, I mean, he serialized, but he never really wrote shorts. Well, no, I guess there's a few books, like the last John Carter book, which was right. They gathered up all the uh, pieces posthumously right. and, and slapped that together. The, Right, and th- I think the sixth Tarzan book is also short stories. I think um, the last Pellucidar book is too. Right, right. I, I got this from Wiki. I mean, I this, I've only read Tanar, but I was you know right. looking at the Wikipedia article mm-hmm. a little bit. But by and large, his form definitely was more serialization and not short stories. Whereas Howard and Lovecraft and all of them are, are short stories. Yeah, so that's a different form. Um, then that and that affects uh, you know the the the, the narrative for right, sure. The shape of the, the, shape of the narrative and, and what you're attempting to do. Um, yeah, for example, I don't think, for example, Clark Ashton Smith probably would have been very successful as a novelist, right? I don't think he would be possible for him to sustain the kind of moods that he wants to create for a 200-page stretch, right? It would be my guess, right? Hmm. And then conversely, know. you know, Burroughs probably, again, he wants to have the plot. He's more plot-driven. I mean, he's world-building, but he's not, again, he's not going to, uh, you know, layer on lots of unnecessary adjectives in order to get where he wants to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think he, he always needs that amount of space to stretch in. seems mm-hmm. like, especially for some of his run on sentences. <laughs> there, there, I, there, <laughs> there's one, if we have time later, I'll read it to you. Um, that, that just stuck out to me. And it, it, I think it might've been the longest sentence in the book. Uh, we can, we can come back to it later. If you want. 
<laughs> sure. <Yeah. clears throat> so I'm curious when we um, do the episode. I have my, my I have my word in mind for the Hygaxian word. I'm curious. Did anything oh, leap shoot. out the page of you? Shoot for you. Oh, I should have looked for that. Yeah. Um, not a big deal. I was just I was just curious if it did. Uh, not you know, G string. No, um, <laughs> G string. That's it. That, that very very Gygaxian. Um, <laughs> oh, I wish I wish I could. Um, I, I'm sure he loved Zardoz. Um, yeah, you know, nothing jumped out at me. Um, and I'm surprised. And also, we didn't we didn't ask you which version of the book you're working with. Oh yeah, so uh, it's it's this Kindle edition. Um. You know, uh, Hoya offered me a very nice paperback edition to borrow, but my OCD prevented me from even touching it um, for fear of, of and especially because I ended up taking it to a, a family kids resort um, where it would have been destroyed by either children or water or horses or or something. Um, let's see. Uh, give me one second, please. And I'll, I'll find it on my Kindle. Here we go. Uh, bros, bros, bros. All right. Um, Let's see if it tells me. I'll show you the cover. I can do that at least. Um, cool. Here's here's the uh, here's the cover. <laughs> Ooh, right. Yeah, very typical the of the time. Right, and that is the original hardcover cover, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. And let's see. What does it say? It doesn't say much. Edition it's info here. I guess that's yeah. Kindle for you. Um, yeah. I'll scroll to the end. I am, replied Jason Gridley. Um, no, that's all I got is that cover. Got it. Cool. What about you, Jeff? What do you got? I've got this one. Right. I've got that Ooh, copy. Beautiful. I've got that copy as well, but that's not the one I read. I ended up reading the one with the um, Frank Fazetta cover. Oh, uh, yep, yep. <clears throat> yeah, mine's the Roy, Roy G. Krenkel Jr. Roy G. Krenkel. One. And then I also, in between with all of that, because it was, I was reading the one that's on... Um, the Australian site free read, yeah. Free read that, so that was um pretty good in that regard. Those not too bad. There was a couple of typos in there, but not nothing that was <clears> egregious. <throat> so I think it was pretty close to the uh, actual original text in that regard. So cool. But, um, yeah, yeah. I think this one, this one had yeah. This too, again, what stands out to me, and I was not expecting from Burroughs, and maybe we'll see more as we go along, is the sort of level of humor that's in there and and i know that like the tarzan series at least off the surface is not as humorous as as this series so mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of uh, you know i think he was just like eh, i don't care about this one as much so i'm gonna have more fun with it you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and and, uh, and thus we did too <laughs> right. <laughs> i mean i haven't reread barsoom um i also you know i forgot to say besides the barsoom series i read the venus series the carson and venus series oh um, okay this is you know back in in junior high and i seem to remember both of them as being pretty pretty serious um mm -hmm. with with you know not to to range too far afield with some very interesting um uh political uh, I, uh ideology expressed that um including uh um, disagreement with organized religion in Barsoom, mm -hmm. um, disagreement with um, uh, uh, eugenics in uh, Venus. So, uh, food for thought in in, in the All future. Right. Um, right. But anyway, some 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 commentaries, I believe, in that one or both of those series about communism. Also, I think. Yeah, I probably wasn't a fan of that either. Yeah. Um, well, and also in some ways, this book ha seems to have a lot of uh, pro-divorce. 
and anti-monogamy <laughs> right free stuff love in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like there's definitely there there are a lot of moments where they're kind of discussing how soul crushing it is for two human beings to be joined in something if they are no longer happy in it right right, right. and he says oh back in sorry when that happens they just separate you know um why don't don't you do that here in hive and guru is like that's wicked and it's like well look at what is happening to your people uh who don't do that you're all like throwing rocks at each other and like beating each other in the streets literally (laughs) yeah it's always interesting to see these these this mixture of like you know typically retrograde kind of views you know typical of the time period mixed in with these you know almost utopian for the time anyway you know progressive or i mean i don't know if they would fit in the progressive tradition but you know yeah progressive ideas like that that you sure, see progressive even by today's standards in some ways. yeah well that's true yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean we're, we're fine with divorce now but still like the idea that like we can just kind of like choose whatever mate suits us at the time as long as it as long as we're both happy with it it's still something that really ruffles a lot of people's feathers right mm-hmm. right oh for sure um yeah yeah, I mean, and d- just domestic, you know, the things he says about domestic relationships in general, um, right. <laughs> definitely like how political at that level. I like how the most vile character is actually the le- the eleven year old kid from the uh, <laughs> from the the unhappy tribe. Right? Oh yeah, the, the one, like... <laughs> not the nice brother, but the other one. Yeah, right? the eleven year old brother who's like, yeah, yeah kill her, <laughs> you know, all stuff like, and he's bringing out the weapons so that the parents could kill Tina. Yeah, <laughs> he goes back to the cave and brings out the weapons. That was, I mean, that, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there. There really <laughs> is. I mean, not just you know the potential, you know, kind of crypto Jewish, you know, thing, um, <laughs> which, which I'm now very intrigued by, um, but also just the, the horrid. I mean, I, you wonder what in his own life he was reaching for <laughs> when he was depicting that, whether this was something he experienced either firsthand or secondhand, because it, 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 it's, it's a, 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 a family and, you know, by extension, societal pathos, you know, an awful right. kind of syndrome going on in Heim. Um, and I, I wonder where the hell he got that from, you know? Um, sure. And it's interesting that it's it's also mixed in with some really kind of what we would in modern in modern days think of as very regressive. Like there's one moment where like he's talking about how, you know, when men are chasing women uh, basically to rape them, yeah. like that's that's how they keep their good figures is by <laughs> oh um, by by running from their pursuers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and, and it's kind of like mentioned as a joke. You know, and it's like, ooh, yeah, yeah. that line doesn't that, that punchline doesn't quite land in 2019. No, right? no, no. I mean, you really I mean, see where. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. But there's no at least the difference is that none of his actual protagonists are particularly rapey, unlike, you know, oh, of course not. Moment no. or, or anything like that. So, yeah. But, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, that's true, too, that like, I mean, you see that a lot in these narratives where this kind of behavior is common. And that's awful. And yet, yet the protagonists don't do it. And that makes you wonder what the author really subconsciously thought about the state of society at the time. You know, whether they, they thought that this was, these kinds of things were wrong or not, and that's why the protagonists didn't do them. Or whether they weren't really thinking much at all about any of this and they just, you know, were, were, were making heroes and villains, you know. 
Yeah, it's hard to say, you know, and I think a lot of authors don't even, a lot of authors go into writing their material with the intention of exploring certain themes. But I also think a lot of authors, they write something and they're not even aware of the fact that they're exploring some of these things either ever or until decades after. And they're like, oh, I was, I was, I was writing about this thing, but I was actually, I think I was really writing about this other thing that was going on in my life at the time. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like dreams, like, you know, dreams are a way of kind of, um, processing what we're going through in our lives right now. And I think as a writer of fiction, writing fiction is also a way that the human brain kind of processes our own experiences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then you find that it's, there are subconscious themes that are either particular to the author's life that the author didn't realize or, or are some larger social expression right. that the author didn't realize they were picking up on. Yeah, sure. It's always, yeah, that's yeah. one of so, the million things we love about about since you mentioned this, though, something I just picked up on since you did really brought on. So, so Burroughs at this point is head of a sort of uh, fiction writing enterprise or enter- a- empire at this point, right? Because it's about oh. 15, 20 years into his career, right? He's written like oh, his own, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. I mean, right, um, and then that eventually becomes Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, enterprises or whatever, where he's licensing these things out to the magazines, right? But and a theme I noticed in the book is that all of the leaders have people who are demanding stuff of them, and they're having to do stuff because <laughs> of the people below them are demanding th- things that happen, right? Like the <laughs> like the buried men. Uh, that leader, oh. he's, he's he's stockpiling all these people so that he can give their piece, his people a big feast. Otherwise, they're just like all hungry all the time, and then they're like you know being cranky and rebellious, right? Um, and then the head El Cid has like both, um, both, both of those, his henchmen are always mm-hmm. like, you know, Hey, you know, when do I get to marry your daughter? And, you know, when do I get to, you know, go do this raid or that raid? And then each chief has like some warrior figure who's like sort of champing at the bit to sort of like challenge his authority in some way. And even David Innes has to say, Oh, well, I have to go out and rescue because it would look kind of weird if I didn't go. Right. If I just mm-hmm. to rescue Tanar. Right. So that all of them have demands that are being placed on them. And I'm wondering if Burroughs was like sort of, again, feeling the pressure of like, oh, I got to write, keep on writing these novels to like, you know, feed my family and, you know, keep up appearances and, you know, pay for, you know, this town of Tarzana that I've just, you know, the subdivision that I've now created. Is Bohar really the uh, HOA fee, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> or as Jeff, you were saying, your water, your water bill. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah. Um, there could be a lot. I mean, I'm sure there's a million right. weird I mean, things from his life personified in these books. Right. As you're saying, because of the commercial pressures or whatever that, that go on into making these things. And and because this is commercial fiction, right? It's so important that you point this out. This is commercial fiction. This is not, quote unquote, literary fiction where people go to Iowa workshop and know that they're never <laughs> going to make anything from their novels, right? But they just try to get their name out there, right? This is the actual Burroughs' actual day job. It's the mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true you just yeah. make the crank this stuff out yeah right <laughs> all right guys so we're gonna actually have to wrap up now because okay. i've got some stuff i need to do before sure. our recording in half an hour uh noah this has been awesome Me if too. you feel yeah. like if you feel like um reading the case of charles dexter ward and joining us next week we actually have two people joining us next week uh both kurt hockenberry will be with us and john hook so mm-hmm. if you would also like to join that conversation, let us know and we'll get you in on that. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will find out whether that is possible schedule-wise. Um, I'd love to. It's actually one of the few Lovecraft texts I have not read. 
Okay, um, cool. Um, so it's pretty I, doable. I, I think it's uh, 140 pages. Yeah, it's short. Yeah, yeah I could, it's short. I could, yeah. I could get that done by then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, thank you for that invite. I, w- I would really love to do that. So let me just see if, if domestic wise that works, and uh, hopefully I Perfect. will see you then. And it's been an honor and a pleasure today. I had loads of fun, and right. uh, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. It's great meeting you. Great meeting you too. You betcha. Take care, guys. Bye. Okay. Bye. The library is closed.